Alright, well, so a few, several weeks ago, we were um, in Luke chapter 10, and if you remember back to several weeks ago, we were talking about Mary and Martha, we were talking about time, and we were talking about busyness, talking about prioritizing, and at that time, several weeks ago, I asked the question, is it a sin to be busy? And so we wrestled through that a little bit, and like I told you several weeks ago, it really wasn't a thing that I had a definitive thing that I was trying to get in your head as much as I was looking for feedback, and I was looking at ideas, and I was looking for a perspective from you. So tonight, I have a similar question that I want to put in front of you, and then we've got several passages, and we'll just see how the conversation evolves, if you will. So, here is the question. No. Before you try to answer the question, I want to ask you to consider two different things. Number one, when I ask the question and you immediately come up with an answer, because some of you will start shaking your head one way or the other. You, you have an immediate answer. Some of you will start formulating an answer in your mind. But however, two things to consider. Your answer. Is it your opinion? Or is it based upon Scripture? If it is based upon Scripture... Can you tell us where you get it at from Scripture? <laughs> so it's one thing to say, well, the Bible says, but it's another thing if you can tell us where the Bible says, all right? So here is the question. So before, think about the two, about the two ways to consider the question. Here's the question. Is worry a sin? Don't answer. Don't answer. Just formulate. Think about it in your head. Is worry a sin? Now, I, I, to me, I'm, uh, I, I think it's important, the words that we use. Um, I think it was Chuck Swindoll last week or the week before last. I was listening to him preach and he was talking about that in the day and age we're living in, people are using the same vocabulary, but they're using different dictionaries. And so I think it's good for us to think about the words that we're using and to define the terms of what we're saying. So, worry... If you think about a dictionary definition, means to torment with cares, anxiety, or other concerns. Anxiety means to be distressed or have uneasiness in your mind. So in our English language, we will have different words. We may talk about I'm concerned, I have care for, I have I am careless, I am worried, I am preoccupied, I am anxious. We will have some of these different words. When you go to the Greek, which is where the original language of the New Testament was based upon the Greek language, there is one root word um, I practice this. Merimineo Probably, I'm not saying it right, but merimineo is the Greek word, and it means to be anxious or to care or to have care for. That word is used in different ways, but it's used over 28 times in every place. You will see it translated into the English as worry or being anxious or having anxiety or having care or being concerned for. And so the majority of the places that I found when it talked about anything that we might define as worry, care, anxiety, preoccupation, whatever, back in the original language, it's going back to that root word in the Greek, which means to be worried or to have anxious. So, tonight, when we're talking about definitions, when we're talking about words, I'm going to use worry and anxiety 
interchangeably. Now you may say, but they're two different things. Okay, we can have that discussion um, later, but for tonight, just for generalization, when we talk about being worried, being anxious, having anxiety, having a, a debilitating concern for, I'm just kind of lumping all those in for the sake of the conversation tonight. So, is it a worry, is it a sin to worry slash anxiety? Be anxious, have anxiety. Is it a sin? Some of you look like you're still, like you're still kind of formulating, and some of you look like we th- you think I'm asking you a trick question or I'm setting you up for a trap. So let me tell you why why I bring this question up. There was a study put out by the Center for Advancing Health back in February of this year. And in this study, and I realize that you can make 37.3% statistics say whatever you want them to say. But in this study, a big polling that they did, this is what they found. They reported that 27.3% of American adults have anxiety problems. 41.7% of young adults being 18 to 29 years old suffer from anxiety. 9.4% of children in the United States have anxiety. 31% of college students have an anxiety diagnosis. Says that the prevalence of anxiety disorders in the U.S. is higher in women than men, and 71 or 7.1 percent of the U.S. population has social anxiety disorder. Translation: It is a big conversation. It is a large conversation in the secular world around us. There are people all around us that either would say that they have struggled with anxiety or they struggle with being anxious or they deal with the uh, effects of worry. They might even try to call it a disorder or may even try to say that they have some type of a condition. It goes on in the study and it says anxiety disorder is one of the most common mental health Disorders And similar to other mental health disorders, people are suffering from anxiety disorder need treatment. And it goes on in the, uh, it's about a 20 page report, but when it talks about the college students, it says 31% of college students have a lifetime diagnosis of an anxiety disorder. So what the report is trying to press is that you have an overwhelming large percentage of our population that is dealing with what is being defined culturally as anxiety or worry. Now, you know, I think many of you know, if not all of you know, I I am still working through an education and the education, the focus of the education is in in the field of biblical counseling. In the biblical counseling, part of what you're doing is you're dealing with the emotional, you're dealing with the mental, you're dealing with the affliction of the soul. 
And when it comes to worry and anxiety, these are things that you're going to deal with in the realm of biblical counseling. And these are things that we're going to deal with as a church. We're going to have people who are going to come in and they are going to say, hey, I've been diagnosed in a secular setting as having a disorder or having a problem or having a disease or whatever the case may be. And so we as a church, it would be it would behoove us as a church to say, what does the Bible say about worry and anxiety? Not to shun anybody, not to judge anybody, and not to disown or Correct. Not to kick you out, but to ask the question, how do we as Christians and how does the church respond to an ever-increasing issue that we have in our society, in our culture? So that is why when I ask the question, is worry a sin? Some of you in this room are going to say yes. Some of you in this room will say no. Some of you in this room will have a more personal experience with dealing with worry and anxiety than others will. Some of you have this past week, have today, or will in the future, you will have moments where you will have a sense of anxiety and worry will come over you. And you know the effects that it has on you and the results it has on your emotional state, your physical state. And in no way am I trying to say, we're just going to say that all of that is non-existent and a figment of your imagination. However, however, it is good. It is good for us to think about some of these things biblically. Because the culture has definitions and the culture has concepts and the culture has ways that they define it and the ways that they address it. But when you see these things that are not necessarily physical, they're much more emotionally or mental, how do we as a church respond and how do we care for those among us that are dealing with these sort of conditions? So when I ask the question, is worry sin? It's not meant to be a gotcha question. It's meant to ask the question of where do you stand? Which side of the aisle you are? And not to necessarily raise the awareness to say we need to follow the secular model. But it is also important for us as a church to consider what does the Bible have to say about it biblically. So, anybody willing to volunteer uh, a passage that speaks about anxiety or worry that you would put up as a as a uh, piece of evidence for your position. I have five that I came with because I expect people to just not say anything. But, anybody want to start us off? Okay, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Alright, so go from Luke chapter 12. We'll come back to Luke 12, okay? So let's go to Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Alright? So, Luke... John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Now, who is writing the book or the letter of Philippians? Paul? Alright, who is he writing to? The church at Philippi. Okay, so he's writing. You get down to Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and this is a passage that some of you have probably committed to memory. What does it say? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in that passage, it 
talks about the presence and it talks about the response to anxiety. So, what does he say in verse 6? Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Now, that brings up all kinds of opportunities for us to talk about when he says don't be anxious. So therefore, if we are anxious, does that mean that we're sinning? Or is he just simply saying, don't let this consume you? What do you think? The latter. The latter? So you think he's saying, don't let this consume you. So it's not that Paul is making a command saying, if you're anxious, boo, hiss, you're sinning. But when you find yourself anxious, this is how you respond to it. Would that be where you would be at? 100%. Okay. Alright. So he says in verse 6, do not be anxious, but... Then he gives the response. So it's like he says, don't do it. But he knows there will be people that will have anxiety. There will be people that will be worried. There will be people with preoccupation. And so then he gives them, this is what you do when you find yourself being in a state of anxiousness. There's three things. Can you tell them to me? It's in the text. Prayer. Supplication, thanksgiving, right? So that's like the solution. So he says, all right, if you find yourself being anxious, this is what you do. You pray. You take your petition. Supplication is going to God and saying, God, I need your help. God, I need your strength. God, I need your peace. He says you go and you pray to God. You ask help from God. And you demonstrate a heart of thanksgiving to God. So he says this is the state. This is the solution or the remedy. And then he also gives them a promise. What's the promise? Peace that surpasses all understanding. That's right. So he says that when you find yourself anxious, here's a solution, and here's the promise of what you're going to experience. So does that mean that sin or that worry is a sin? Okay. I'm getting I'm getting more heads doing this than heads doing this. Would it be fair to say that? This passage in Philippians 4 is not saying that worry or anxiety is a sin, but that when we experience worry or anxiety, that God has given us a way to respond to the worry and the anxiety. Of Luke chapter 12, Therefore I tell you, not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is sown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried... For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So He says, up in verse 22, do not be anxious. Then, you see down there in verse 29, He says, nor be worried. So how do we take that? Not supposed to worry, but does he, is Jesus saying that 
It's a sin? Again, he's telling us how to deal with it. Again, he's telling us how to deal with it? Okay. It's a natural. So maybe here in Luke 12, he's saying that you don't need to do it because it's unfruitful, it's unproductive. Do you think that would be a fair takeaway from here in Luke 12? He says, don't do it. Why? Because you're not going to accomplish anything by doing it. Which I realize some of you may say, well, that's easy for you to say. Yeah, I I get it. (laughs) I get it. I understand how sometimes those things can come upon you and it's like you're on the the merry-go-round and you're not really sure how to get off without breaking your neck. So you just feel like you're stuck in in that whole cycle. But it could be that Jesus is saying, listen, the craziness about the worry and the anxiety is it just keeps you stirred up, but you don't ever get anywhere. It's like the story about the rocking chair. You just rock, 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 rock back and forth, but you're not going anywhere. So it could be that he's saying, hey, it's a, it's a waste of time. It's a distraction. It's unfruitful. It's unproductive. But does anybody... Um, think that he's saying it is sin as much as just saying, hey, be on guard from being consumed by it. Did you say that Jesus had anxiety when he was crying or sweating blood? So, the word that is used there in Luke 22 is agony. And it is a different word. It talks about, going back when I looked it up, it is the idea of anguish or a great burden of reservation of what is coming. It doesn't use that Greek word that is so often used or translated as anxiety or worry. So I looked at that because I thought about we'll go there and say, hey, Jesus did it, but I don't I don't think that's a fair treatment to say that's a one for one. It, it, it was it wasn't actually a fear of hey I'm scared, of, I'm scared of God as much as just a bit of a trepidation because He knew what was coming. An agony, maybe. Because I want to stop short because I know there's some people that they don't ask for the worry and the anxiety to come upon them. But it's memories, it's situation, it's personalities. <laughs> you know, you get a letter from the IRS and immediately you start to... <laughs> Right? I mean, it, 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 and so it's not necessarily, so I, I want to stop short of telling people, well, you know, it's, you're not responding well. It's just, it's, it's how it can then consume us or take over the way we respond. Let's go to another one. First Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Miss Sarah. I was going to say one Peter. First Peter 5? Yeah. Okay. Can you me go there first, or go? I, that's also on the list. You me go to. It doesn't matter. Okay. Let's go to First Corinthians seven. We'll get to First Peter five. First um, Corinthians seven, verse thirty-two. Now I want to be clear about the context. The context is not anxiety or worry. Okay. The context is marriage. Paul is writing and he is saying, listen, you folks need to, well, they're included. That's right, Miss Jenna. Those go hand in hand. But the idea is he is saying, hey, I want, he's talking to the unmarried about their need to get married. Why? Because there was a certain amount of flesh that he said, hey, you remain unmarried. You're going to be given over to immorality and you're going to be given over to all sorts of things that aren't godly. And so 
those that are called to be single, and that is God has given them a special calling, that pursue that. But for the rest of you, you need to get married. You need to be um, productive in society. And he says in verse 32, I, I find this to be interesting. So remember, the context is marriage, talking about singleness, talking about those that are um, recently widowed or widowers, and he's talking about the state of marriage. But then he explains in verse 32 why. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. Now I bring that up because I think that it is interesting that Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties, the care, the concern, the worries. But then he qualifies it and says that the unmarried are anxious about the things of the Lord. So does that mean that he's putting it in a negative light? Or is that meant to put it in a positive light that them being anxious about the things of the Lord is a good thing? Does that make sense? So he's saying you're going to be anxious. Some of you are anxious about the things of God, and that's good. Some of you are anxious about your wife, and that's good. So is he presenting it as a positive thing? Or do you think that he is just saying he is not condoning or he is not promoting or encouraging anxiety? He is just saying this is a fact of life that you're going to experience these things. You're going to deal with these things. So this is how you deal with it in a God-honoring way. That's what I think. That's what you think? Okay. Anybody have objection? Anybody says, no, you're way off, Spence. You got it all wrong? Well, and, and the reason I bring it out is because I, I, think it's, I think it's responsibility of us to be fair. It can be easy for us to go to Matthew 6 or Luke 12 and say, Jesus says, don't be anxious. And then anybody that comes around that says, man, I'm really struggling with worry or anxiety or just a, a controlling fear. It's easy for us to look at them and go, well, the Bible says don't do it, so don't do it. And we move on. And we can neglect... We can neglect an opportunity to minister to people. Or neglect part of the body. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so let me add some more to the marinating thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians 11. Again, the context... Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and there was a little bit of questioning his bona fides. There was a little bit of saying, why should we listen to you? Who do you think you are? Why should we be paying attention to what you have to say? So towards the end of 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, remember this guy. Remember who I am. Remember what I have done for the sake of the kingdom of God. And he talks about... The things that he has endured and the things that he has suffered. So he talks about in verse 24, five times I've received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, dangerness at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship to many, a sleepless night 
night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. So he goes to this list and says, these are all the things that I've done, not for my personal joy or not for my personal kingdom building, but these are the things I've done in service to God. So if you're questioning my commitment and my devotion to God, look at my resume. I'm not a wimp. I'm not a sissy. I am sold out to the kingdom of God. Verse 28, and apart from other things, so he's saying apart from all those other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. (laughs) So what's Paul, so now, 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 this is the same Paul that wrote in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, right? This is the same Paul that wrote in 1 Corinthians 7. I want you to be free from anxiety. And now, this man is saying, on top of everything else that I'm dealing with, I have the daily anxiety for all the churches. Well, mine says that uh, um, my deep concern, and that seems different than anxiety. So what about the Greek there? So that's the same root word, the marinomio. It's the same Greek word when you go back to it. Um, That Greek word will be used in like four different variations that will then be translated as concern for, care for, all of those things. But it's the same Greek root word. So there's a correct anxiety and a sinful anxiety. Okay. Where do you get that from? Um... Well, I believe Paul was correctly was correct in his posture for anxiety. <laughs> okay. Where there's ways that we're not correct. So we can be there's a right way to be anxious and a wrong way to be anxious? Maybe. Is that what you're saying? I I mean maybe. Okay. <laughs> All right. To me it sounds like he's being anxious about the spiritual things in the world with the kingdom of God. And that okay. would be the difference, the world and the kingdom. Okay. All right. Any other thoughts? Well, I mean, this is the same Paul that said, don't be anxious. And now Paul is saying, I am anxious. Well, and if you go back to 1 Corinthians and you compare to this, what is the anxiousness about where it seems to be okay is when it comes to the things of God. Okay, so that you would say maybe Matthew six, Luke twelve, Luke ten. We talked, we looked at several weeks ago when Martha and Mary. And remember, whenever Martha comes to Jesus, says, "Jesus, why isn't my sister Mary helping me?" And he says, "Martha, you're anxious about many things." It's the same word that's used there, anxious and worry. So you're saying when we have those kind of emotions for kingdom related things. That's okay. But if they're for personal worldly things, that's not okay. Is that, what, is that maybe the thought you're having? That's what I'm having. Yeah. Okay. Aren't we supposed to be burdened for the kingdom of God? Like, is that not supposed to be a burden? Is that not anxiousness? This is the discussion. So, I always run short on time. So let, let's go to one more. First Peter 5. I think this is the one that Sarah was wanting to... Uh, Make sure and touch on. Context, 1 Peter 5. Uh, 1 Peter, 
first four chapters, he's writing to the church about their behavior and about their conduct in the lost world around them and how they were to act as Christians and believers. You get to chapter 5 and he shifts the focus of who he's directing his words to from the church as a whole to pastors specifically. So that's why you see some of your headings of 1 Peter 5 is going to say, Shepherd the flock of God. And so he says, verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you. And then he goes on talking about how the pastors and the preachers should respond. Now, I don't say that to say verse 6 has no application to us as a whole. I'm just saying I want to make sure that we understand the context for where he is writing into. So, he says, I'm going to pick it up in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. So, This is not Paul writing. This is Peter writing. But the idea that Peter brings up is it's almost like he says there's going to be anxieties. That's a given. You're going to face worry. You're going to face anxiousness. You're going to have concerns. But when those moments come, what do you do with them? I think maybe what Corey and Miss Jenna was saying, do you sit there and dwell on them? Go to seed on them sort of thing? Do you just sit there and let them consume you? Do you just sit there and just let them just control you? What do you do with them? So what's the process he gives us in 1 Peter 6? To cast, right? So he says, you're going to face this. So when you face this, what do you do? You give it to God. Is that fair? You're, you're giving it to God. You're understanding that I, I cannot control this. I, as much as I want, as much as I desire, I cannot dictate, I cannot control it. I, I, do not, I do not always get to choose when I feel this way or when I experience or deal with these things. Some of these things are triggers. Some of these things are personalities. Some of these things are smells and sounds and sights. Some of these things come upon you. Um, I think about, and I've told Jaylene about this, that a lot of times the bereavement, the grief, it's like a sunburn. This is how my mind thinks about it. You may think I'm crazy, but I think about it like a sunburn. You know, that sunburn, the first day it hurts. The second day, it still hurts, but it's gotten a little bit easier to get along with. But then there's there's times that come along that somebody comes on and, Hey, how you doing? And all of a sudden it hurts, right? It's been aggravated. It's It's like it's been drawn back up. And there are things, whether it's grieving the loss or death, or there's other things in life that... These things will just pop up. You may say out of nowhere. They pop up and you're just like, what do I do? Peter says, when you're in that moment and you find yourself consumed and you find yourself overwhelmed, you're not alone. And I don't mean to be trite and I don't mean to be simplistic, but the idea is give it to God. Turn to God. Trust God. In God. Well, does that mean that it gets better instantly? I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, is that He says, you're not alone. Cast your anxieties on Him. Why? Why do you do that? The last part of verse 7, He says, because He cares for you. One of the things that Satan wants to convince us of is that we are all alone. 
that no one else is dealing with what we're dealing with, that no one else has ever dealt with what we've ever dealt with, and what we're going through, no one cares, no one knows, no one hears, and we are all alone in a sea of people. Satan will even get you and I convinced that you come in here on a Sunday morning and even though there may be another 150 people around you, you're all by yourself. And he will do that. And he will mess with us and toy with us. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to get you and I to just get fixated on us. So, comes back to this idea is worry or anxiety a sin based upon most of your responses I think that the consensus the majority opinion of the room is it is not sin it can be if it becomes a consuming thing that takes our mind off God but the instance or the occurrence is not sin of a of itself. Is that... Am I I misrepresenting anybody? Okay. So then, how should the church then respond to it? Or how should we approach those amongst us that are struggling with it? So the reason why I bring it up is because right now we have a, a culture and a society that is one, defining it, and number two trying to direct how we respond to it. And many times their definition or the direction of response is not rooted in Scripture. And so I want to encourage us, and it's not just a a me thing, it's us as a church thing that we think about one, how do we define it biblically and then how do we respond to it Biblically, Because it's not a matter of what, unless we define it or tell you how to respond, then no one else will. Now that's not the situation we're in. Right now, the culture is very good at doing both of those things. And then we as a church then oftentimes get put on the defensive. Or we get put behind um, the curve, if you will. Because now you have people already assuming different ideas. So like I read to you about the 31% of the college students that have a lifetime diagnosis of anxiety disorder. And so it's one of those things that we, as a church, we have an opportunity to say, what does the Bible say about worry? What does the Bible say about anxiety? How do we minister to one another? How do we love one another? And how do we serve one another when it comes to those things in our midst? It's one of those things that there's a lot more people than what we think that deal with it or struggle with it or experience it, but feel like they can't share it because they feel like they're the only ones that are going through it. And we have an opportunity as a church to respond to them in a biblical way. So let me give you just a few thoughts just to chew on. You can don't have to agree with me. That's fine. I, I, I'm, I've got teenage boys, so I'm used to people not agreeing with me. All right? So just let me give you some thoughts to kind of process something that I just want you to chew on right now. Okay? So first thought that comes to my mind is, is that the Bible does not present, from what I can find, the, the Bible does not present anxiety or worry as being a disorder or a disease. 
just presents it as a condition or the posture of the heart. And not necessarily going if you struggle with or face anxiety or worry, that means you're a bad person, but it's an opportunity to turn, it's an opportunity to trust, it's an opportunity to deepen your reliance upon God. I don't see the Bible presenting it in the same way that it does leprosy or dropsy or think about the female that was hunched over with the discharge of blood. I mean, it's not a disorder or disease. It is an emotional condition that God has given a response for. Does that make sense? So when we think about it, we want to we be on guard because someone like to say we're, we're using the same vocabulary words, but oftentimes we're using a different, we're using a different dictionary. So we want to think about what does the Bible say about anxiety and worry. It does not present it as being a disease or disorder, but a posture condition of the heart. Um, many times you'll find in the Old Testament that anxiety or worry was linked to people doubting God. And I think... Anecdotally, I think there's sometimes that we deal with anxiety or worry because we are questioning or we're doubting the ability of God to be faithful. Or we're doubting the ability of God to take care of the situation. Or we're doubting the ability of God to prove Himself true. And so sometimes um, the doubt of God manifests itself out as anxiety or worry. Um... Matthew 6, Mark chapter 4, um, Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 12, all of them present worry and anxiety um, as oftentimes being a distraction. A distraction that the world or Satan is attempting to use to take our eyes off of God. I'm not saying that every time you're going, oh, well, I'm just a terrible... I'm not, no, no, I'm not. There's no judgment. I'm just saying that when we see it in those instances, it is often being used by the world or by Satan to distract us and to take our focus away from God. Um, Paul does not encourage or commend others to worry. We don't see where Paul says, please do that. It's good to do that. It's healthy to do that. But we do see where Paul recognizes that through the course of life, there are going to be some natural seasons of life that those kind of emotions and those kind of experiences are going to be a natural season or a natural occurrence in life. So when you're experiencing those or the people around you are experiencing those, we all have an opportunity in how we respond. So please do not hear, please do not leave out of here and go, oh, well, Cecil Spence said anybody that worries or deals with anxiety, they're sinning and they're wrong and they're lost and going to hell. I haven't said that. (laughs) I haven't said that. But I do think there's a way that we can respond to that in a healthy biblical way. And there's a way that we can respond to it in a selfish, me-centered way worldly way. And we have to be careful between the two. Other thoughts?